As we begin this morning, turn in your Bibles to John 21. And we are going to finish out the book of John this morning. And, and here Jesus is tying up some loose ends. Now, let me ask you something. Before we jump into that, do you know what a stinger is? Many of you would say, well, absolutely. A stinger is what a bee has that he stings you with, right? Well, I'm not talking about that kind of stinger. I'm talking about a movie stinger. A movie stinger is, if you've ever been to the movies, I know good Baptists don't go to the movies, but uh, those heathens of us that go to movies, uh, we will go to a movie and then it used to be when the movie is over, you get up and you go out of the theater. But now people are hanging around the credits because there is something called a movie stinger, which uh, in the uh, several years ago, sometimes they would play outtakes and bloopers and stuff from what they had shot. But now they will let all the credits roll. And then at the end of the credits, they will roll a stinger that has some type of scene that sets up the next movie, whatever it may be. And so what I want you to see as we look at the passage this morning, this is somewhat of a stinger. Because in, in most movies and in most stories, you would think that the end of the story is where all of the disciples have got peace in their lives now because the, re- the resurrected Jesus has visited them. And you see that the doubter, the, the doubting Thomas, now believes and calls Jesus Master and Lord. That would make for a nice ending. Everybody lives happily ever after. And unfortunately, happily ever afters are very rare because there is always something else to be done. And as we look this morning, I want you to see that Jesus says every step until he ascends to the Father, every step has a purpose. Because what we see here is... We have all been unhinged. We have all been uh, loose and need refocusing, maybe even needing some restoration of our faith. And so see Jesus' heart here as he purposefully gets the disciples ready for their future ministry. He had spent so much time teaching them, uh, like at the Lord's Supper, teaching them about how he would die and what his body would mean and what his blood would mean. And they have seen all that and they have been through all that. And so now these are Jesus' literally last words to his disciples before he ascends. The first thing we see in verses 1 through 8 is that Jesus refocused the efforts of his disciples. Jesus refocused the efforts of his disciples. It says in verse 1, it says, Later Jesus appeared again to the disciples beside the Sea of Galilee. How is it that it ha- this is how it happened? Several of the disciples were there. Simon Peter, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, which were James and John. And two other disciples, so roughly about six people there. And so Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. Some of you would say, amen, there's nothing like a good fishing trip. He says, I'm going fishing. We'll come too, they said. So they went out to the boat, but they caught nothing all night. At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who it was. He called out, hey, fellows. King James calls it children. The Christian Standard Bible says, he says, hey men. He says, hey guys, have you caught any fish? Now if you've ever went fishing, most of my fishing trips, you should have just called it waiting, not fishing. 
just waiting or casting. Because you're casting, you, oh, there's a spot, reel it in, there's the spot. Then you reel up a shoe or whatever it might be. But, but some of you guys, you really know what's going on. But, but these were professional fishermen that had, had not caught anything all day. So they were in a bad mood. And then by Jesus calling them fellows or children, uh, he was indicating that uh, though they did not recognize him, there was some type of connection between the stranger on the shore and them fishing. No, they replied at the end of verse 5. Then he said, throw out your net on the right-hand side of the boat, and then you'll get some. Folks, we need to understand that as a disciple of Christ, first and foremost, you can never go back to your old way of life and be fulfilled. Once you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, you are marked, you are indwelt, with the Holy Spirit. I remember as a teenager when I became a Christian and I had new priorities and, and, and uh, the Holy Spirit within me, something happened. I don't remember exactly what it was, but I went back to the party lifestyle because that's where I had found to get my, uh, my fix and how to, to cope with things. It said this time when I did it, it was miserable. I was more sick. I was, I was guilty now, and I couldn't understand what was going on. Folks, we can never go back. Listen, if living in sin like you were before you met Christ was so good, why don't you go back to it? Because you can't. And so here we see these disciples. It's not necessarily a bad thing, but let me ask you something. In any of the gospel, any of our time through John, as we have gone through this, once Jesus called them to be fishers of men, did they ever go fishing? No. The only time they touched fish was when Jesus was multiplying it, and they didn't catch those fish. So here we see them trying. Everything has gone wrong in their estimates. And so now they're, maybe they're just taking a fishing trip for the day, or maybe they're really just saying, you know what, we're going to try to go back to our lives. Maybe you've had the same experience. You tried to live a perfect life. I remember one gentleman, bless his heart, he, he, the Lord uh, just was really working in his life, and uh, he got baptized, and then he, was in, he had, had a rough crowd he was hanging around. He said, Preacher, I'm just having a hard time with my language. And I said, How long have you been a Christian? He said, Well, right now, a couple of weeks. I said, It's going to take time. Because... Those words that we used to say don't bring the satisfaction anymore. Those drinks that we put into our body or those drugs or those, those bad habits or that gossip or all of these things that we try to chew on in our life when we become a Christian, our body just cannot take it. These disciples are distracted. And it is possible that the disciples were coping with the stress of life the best way they could. And that was by reverting to their old lives. Maybe you've had the same experience where you have tried to be perfect in your Christian life and failed. But I want you to understand something. You are not called to be perfect. You are called to be in the process of being perfect. The Bible says, not you, but Jesus is the author. In other words, he wrote your faith and he is the protector. I mean, the perfecter. He perfects your faith. Folks, if you feel like you're messed up, you're jacked up, and you try to get it right, but you get it wrong, that's part of the process. So in our fight or flight tendencies, when things go wrong, in our fight or flight tendencies, we attempt to fix our Savior-sized problems with our own human 
limitations. Folks, I've said it before, I'll say it again. First step, when you realize you're digging yourself a hole, stop digging. Okay? Uh, It is, our bodies are made to either fight something or to run from something. And folks, there is a reason that God puts God-sized problems ahead of you. So you will depend upon Him. But thankfully, due to the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and the believers, they don't get the same joy out of their old familiar sins. For example, I remember a long time ago, uh, some of you might remember it, and a lot of you will, when you, they had regular gasoline. Not, not the unleaded straight. I'm talking about, it was actually called regular gasoline. You'd put it in your lawnmowers, you'd put it out. Can you even find regular gasoline now? I think the government kind of shut it down, didn't it? Well, anyway, if you take this regular gasoline, you put it in your your brand new car, your brand new truck, it would ruin that engine because it's not made to run on that gas anymore. Folks, when we put sin and things that used to give us comfort in our lives, it ruins our lives and it messes us up because we are no longer designed that way. We are new creatures. We are God's chosen and we are not supposed to be dealing with those things. So we don't have to be perfect, but we don't have to be running to those things as well. Because we must be ready for Jesus to reveal himself as soon as we reach the end of ourselves. Yeah, these disciples are, are at the end of themselves. They're scared. They have lost sight of the verse in John fifteen five, where Jesus told them, Apart from me, you can do nothing. So these professional fishermen have been f- fishing all day. They've caught nothing. Now, on March 16th through 18th, Anderson is going to be the host of the 2018 Geico Bass Masters Tournament. Do I get an amen? Okay. (laughs) Got a few fishing folks out there. But anyway, they say that in the newspaper that actually over the last three years, that festival has brought in over $30 million of revenue into the upstate. So that's a lot of fishing. Fishermen need to eat. Fishermen need to stay at hotels. Fishermen need gas. Fishermen need bait and tackle. So, I mean, it's good for our system. So there will be a lot of professional fishermen, fishermen teams here. They'll have sponsors on their boats and on their jackets and all that kind of stuff. Now, let's say me, Preacher Yahoo here, is walking across the shore. And there's some guys, and they're fishing, and they're catching nothing. And then little preacher Yahoo here says, hey, guys, you caught anything? They probably look at me and say, be quiet, boy. I say, well, I'll tell you what, if you try spinnerbait, you might do it better. Or I'll tell you what, what kind of rod are you using? What, what's the tensile strength of that? Or what kind, are you doing multiple hooks? And, and all of these things, I am sure that I would walk away from that occurrence with a, um, a fishing rod up my nose. Because I, I don't know anything about fishing competitively. And so here's this Yahoo telling them, hey, just throw it on the other side of the boat. Folks, let me tell you something. It's easy to discount Jesus' words when we do not recognize him or take him at his word. Let me say that one more time. 
It is easy to discount Jesus' words when we do not recognize Him or take His words seriously. There are people in this room, in this community, in this state, in this world that are drowning in themselves because they're trying to fix everything in their own strength and they don't read God's Word, they don't heed God's Word, and all they want to do is get the approval of their friends. As long as their Facebook feed agrees with what they agree, then it must be truth. That is not truth. That is the opinion and the praise of others. And these disciples who were following Jesus didn't understand that it was Him and they were not taking Him seriously. Folks, but sometimes God asks us to do things or even follow, allow things to come into our lives not, not to frustrate us, but to build up our faith. These fishermen were frustrated. Have you ever had something that you've been dealing with for a long time and it's frustrating? There's a reason for that. He wants you to quit depending on your strength and depend on his strength. Think of the countless athletes you've been watching during the Olympics that spend their entire lives training for this event. Strict training to be the best in their field. Their payoff will be a medal, hopefully, around their neck. Let me ask you something, my friend. As a believer in Jesus Christ, why do you strive? Why, why does someone run a race to finish? Why do you endure? Why, do you get, why did you get up this morning and say, I'm going to put on some clothes and I'm going to go to church? Or I'm going to try one more time to give this to God. Or some of you might be saying, I've been depending on God for a long time, whatever it may be. What, what do you get out of that? Well, number one, you get peace in your daily living. But James says in James 1.12, our payoff is endurance is the crown of life. The crown of eternal life. So when our efforts are focused on Jesus, our directions will never come up empty-handed. Then we see in verses 7 and 8, Then the disciples Jesus loved, that's what, how John referred to himself, the man writing the book, he said to Peter, It is the Lord! In other words, that's not that Yahoo! That's the Lord talking to us! When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, of course you know Peter, he's impulsive. Now, I, I don't know the official uh, outfit that he was using, but evidently he had, didn't have a whole lot of clothes on because I guess they fished so they could get a suntan at the same time. So he, put, he made himself respectable and he jumped in the water and he went after Jesus because he heard it was Jesus. Does that sound familiar? He had done that before, jumped out of a boat. And walked to Jesus on the water, but fell when he took his eyes off of him. But in this case, he is jumped into the water and headed to the shore while the others stayed in the boat. And they simply rowed ahead to shore. They were about 100 yards from the shore. So about a football field. So what we see here is refocusing your efforts means renewing your purpose. This story sounds very familiar because if you would go back to Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, you would see that this whole thing happened earlier when they were called for the first time. Now, maybe this will be a moment, or maybe it'll just be, eh, whatever. But here you go. The disciples, and Jesus said, I will make you fishers of men. 
for three and a half years, they followed Jesus. And at the end, they were discouraged. They denied him and they were running from him. So what he has done here is he has basically renewed them, recalled them, so to speak, and reminded them that their life is not their own. There is no way after they had gone through what they had gone through, they could go back to be fishermen and and act like nothing ever happened. Jesus loves them too much to let them flounder after he left. He came specifically to them. He taught them how to be fishers of men. And today he prepares to leave. So he teaches them the same lesson again. The second thing we see is that Jesus meets your needs as he reminds you of your purpose. As he reminds you of your purpose. Jesus takes some time not only to visit the men, but to meet their need of hunger. Folks, they were hungry. They had been out all day in the boat and caught nothing. That means they have a suntan, they're cranky, they're sweaty, they're sunburnt, and they haven't had any food, so they are tired, they are weak. And so the first thing Jesus does is he doesn't have a tent prayer meeting. What he does is he feeds them. It says in verses 9 through 14, when they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them. Fish cooking over a charcoal fire and some bread. Okay, they had caught nothing all day. They come to shore and there's fish on the fire and bread ready for them. Does that sound familiar to you? Where did that fish come from? We don't know where it came from, but it sounds a lot like the miracle to when Jesus took a few loaves and fish and blessed them. Jesus is, do you see what Jesus is doing here? He's reminding the disciples of his past faithfulness so that they will be faithful in the future. My friend, if you are wavering in your faith or you have friends and family members that are wavering in their faith that at one time were following the Lord, remind them of their past Remind them of what Jesus has done for them and what Jesus wants them to do. It says in verse 10, Bring me some of the fish you just caught, Jesus said. So Simon Peter went aboard and dragged the net ashore. There were 153 large fish, yet the net had not torn. Now come have some breakfast, Jesus says. None of the disciples dared to ask him, Who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Then Jesus served them the bread and the fish. This was the third time Jesus had appeared to his disciples since he had been raised from the dead. So the third time that he has appeared to them. What you see throughout the Gospel of John, you see three invitations issued. Three invitations issued in John. The first one, come and see. John 1.39, Jesus' birth. Come and see the Savior, the Savior that is born. In John 7.37, come and drink. This is the Lord's Supper. And then now we see, come and dine with me. Chapter 21, verse 12. I want you to understand something very clear here. Jesus was going to restore them. He met their physical need as he did often with people and that he came into contact with. He met their physical need before he met their spiritual need. Folks, when people are hurting, we need to give them bread. 
when they're hungry. We need to give them food. We need to help people in order to win them. After he fed the disciples, he let them rest, dry off, and then he began to restore them. Then the third thing we see is that Jesus will restore you in order for you to fulfill your purpose. The reason Jesus doesn't give you a pass, the reason He is always on you, the reason He is always working in you is because He has a plan for you. It breaks my heart to see somebody that accepts the Lord as their Savior and Lord and they come and they sit and sour in the same pew year after year after year, never reading the Bible for themselves. Never sharing their faith with someone else. Never serving in the church. Just getting that that little bit of fire insurance and saying, I'm just going to sit here and just exist. That's not what Jesus wants from you. That is not what Jesus wants from anyone who is his disciple. If you don't believe me, go and read the parable of the talents. He gave talents each according to, to three men, each according to their ability. And one of the men had one talent, and he took it, and he buried it in the ground. And Jesus was furious with him. And he said, I'm going to take that talent and give it to somebody who wants to do something. We see here that the reason Jesus is restoring them is because he has got a greater purpose for them. It says, At verse 15, after breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than these? What are these? Do you love me more than these other disciples? Do you love me more than these fish? Maybe it's, do you love me more than these people that are around? Because evidently, Peter had a problem with people asking him if he knew Jesus or not, because he denied him three times. So Jesus asked him, Do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied. You know I love you. Then feed my lambs. Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said. You know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. Verse 17, a third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question the third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you, Jesus said. Then feed my sheep. I find it so touching that Jesus did not finally ascend into heaven until he restored Peter. He, he tied up this loose end. And it's for a reason. And it's an important reason that we'll see in just a second. We learn a powerful lesson of forgiveness and restoration in this passage. And let me share it with you. The first thing is, private sin should be restored privately. Private sin should be restored privately between you and that person. On the road to Emmaus, two disciples were talking about the fact that Jesus had already met with Peter privately to restore him. So, so this, this three, three times, feed my lambs, feed my sheep, this, this restoration is the second type of restoration, which is a public restoration. Which means public sin should be confessed publicly. Peter was right with Jesus. But it was important that the public knew about that forgiveness since his denial was public. And the reason that Jesus is restoring him publicly is because if you go and you look at Acts, Peter is the major player in the first church. 
He can't be a major player in the first church if everybody remembers him as the guy that denied Jesus three times. So he is publicly restoring, Jesus, restoring Peter. He's restoring his apostle status. And he is restoring him as being one of the disciples. Peter was restored three times, one for each of his denials. And then we see that Jesus loves you too much to leave you unforgiven and unrestored. I don't know about you, but there, there were times in my life that my voice said to myself, Jesus loves you and Jesus will forgive you of your sins, but he'll never forgive you of that one thing. Have you ever been there? He'll never forgive me of that one thing. I want to let you know something. That is a lie straight from the pit of hell. The blood of Jesus covers everything. The blood of Jesus covers everything. And if, he is, if Jesus is working on you and you are uncomfortable and he's calling you to do something, I hope that's the case because at least that means he's working on you. Too many Christians nowadays, Jesus wants to work with them, but they're like, I'm not listening. Or they draw their hands back because they're afraid of what Jesus might ask. Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you so much that he has also forgiven you and he wants to restore you. It's funny, that message just kind of, saying that falls on deaf ears this morning. Unless you're in need of restoration. Unless you need that second chance. And some of you today don't need that. But one day you might. I learned very early in my life, never tell anybody what you will never do. Never is a word that you don't want to use because it never will always come back to haunt you. Jesus loves you too much to leave you unrestored. And we should do the same for others. Peter and the disciples are shifting into a dual role now at the end of this book. Jesus was reminding that his absence not only would be making them fishers of men, but by him saying, feed my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my lambs, he was saying, not only are you going to be fishers of men, but I'm going to make you a shepherd, an evangelist, and a pastor. Now, there's... a what we see here in, uh, in verses uh, 18 through 23, it says if you plan to serve Jesus, you need to plan to die as a, as well. Excuse me. You need to learn to die as well. He says, I tell you the truth. When you were young, you were able to do as you liked. You dressed yourself and went wherever you wanted to go. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and others will dress you and take you where you don't want to go. Jesus said, to this, Jesus said this to let him know by what kind of death he would glorify God. Then Jesus told him, follow me. Well, no, you know, Peter, he can't just keep his mouth shut and enjoy the moment. He says in verse 20, Peter turned around and saw behind him the disciple Jesus loved. This is John the one who had leaned over to Jesus during the supper and asked, Who will betray you, Lord? Peter asked Jesus, What about him, Lord? <laughs> Peter said, Okay, you told me my future. What about John? 
What about him? And Jesus says, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? As for you, follow me. In other words, he's telling Peter, focus. Quit looking at all the people around you. So the rumor spread among the community of believers that the disciple, that this disciple, meaning John, would not die. But that isn't what Jesus said at all. He only said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? Folks, let me put it this way. When a person has settled the matter of death, then he is ready to live and serve. If you have not, as a Christian, settled in your mind that I was bought with a price, that every day I am to take my cross up and follow Him, not my will, but Thy will be done. If you're not ready to die as a believer, you're not ready to live as a believer. God did not call us to be comfortable. Sometimes I think we should call them pews because the people in them stink. Because they do not do anything for the Lord. And like a sponge, they soak up everything, but they never squeeze to let it come out. And if you've ever had a sponge that is full of water that you don't squeeze, you know that it sours and then it rots and then it deteriorates. If you have not come to grips with the fact that you are dead in Christ, you will never be fully alive in Christ. If believers in every church that are around here, even one church in our community, if they were fully alive in Christ as God has called them to and are ready to deny themselves and to say, God, whatever, Jesus, wherever, let's do it, this place would be... A revival would take place. But what about John? Peter wanted to know what about John, and Jesus corrected him by saying, you don't need to worry about him, just follow me. Let me tell you something that just about every pastor probably deals with, just about every co-worker, every neighbor. You've heard of keeping up with the Joneses, so to speak. I'm going to tell you something right now. Comparison will kill your fellowship with God and whoever you are comparing yourself to. I'm on Facebook, and I've got some friends that that I know from the past that are pastors, and every Instagram post, every Facebook post, God is doing this, God is doing that, and we're doing all these many things, and da-da-da-da-da. And hey, I'm happy for them. I really am. I think these things need to happen. But folks, it's not always rosy. Church is hard. Winning souls is hard. And instead of getting, and, and when I see all this stuff, I'm like, man, they're doing great. Why, why, what am I doing wrong? What's everybody else doing wrong? And then Jesus has to tell me, don't worry about those other people. Follow me. Folks, Holman Park Baptist Church is who God wants it to be. We've got to use what we've got, take advantage of the opportunities we have, and depend on Him to multiply whatever that is. Somewhere along the way, I think churches have got lost into thinking that they need to be like the other church down the street. Well, if Jesus wanted us to be like the other church down the street, we would be the other church down the street.
God has a purpose for this church. God has a purpose for you. And God has a purpose for me. And let's quit worrying about what everybody else is doing and plug into what He has for us. It's good that Peter didn't try to compete with John. Peter started the first church. His first sermon had 3,000 converts. That's pretty impressive. I think the Southern Baptist Convention would like to include that on their annual report. 3,000. Peter began the first church, but yet when he died, he was crucified, just like Jesus. Except Peter said, do not crucify me upright, but crucify me upside down, because I am not worthy to be crucified as Jesus was. And then John. John had some troubles along the way, and he was exiled to the island of Patmos, where Jesus spoke to him again through visions. And he gave us this, this wonderful book of Revelation. Both men glorified God in their lives and in their deaths. As Reverend Billy Graham's services are being held, I know that he did the same. Oh, how we should long to do the same. To where our joys are his joys. Our tests are met with God's strength. Our love is as pure as God's love for us. And our lives will be eternal, just like Jesus modeled himself. So in conclusion, we look at verses 24 and 25, and we see that Jesus' work and this book are finished and complete. The disciple is the one who testifies to these events and recorded them here. And we know that this account, or his account, of these things is accurate. Jesus also did many other things. If they were all written down, I suppose the whole world would not contain the books that would be written. Folks, as John completes his book, he certifies that every word was written with purpose and is accurate. Basically, he's saying... You can base your life upon these words. Folks, you can put your faith in your 401ks, but it could be gone in a minute. You could put your faith in your real estate and it could plummet. You could put your faith in your family and they could die. You could put your faith in your bank account and watch it dwindle away. You could put your faith in whatever you can touch, whatever you can hold, whatever you can is dear to you that is on this earth. But anything on this earth other than what is done for Jesus Christ will rot, break, rust, and fade away. You can take these words in the Scriptures to the bank. Just as Jesus tied up His loose ends, so should you. You have seen throughout this series that we have been in, That Jesus is the only way to heaven and eternal life. You have seen through this series that you are a sinner and that you are in need of God's saving grace. You have learned that those who follow Jesus are not perfect, but are being made perfect. You have learned that Jesus loves you enough to die so that you could be restored, renewed, and regenerated. 
into a new person. A life lived for the glory of God is a life that will glorify God in death and for eternity. I don't know where or how at this moment where I will be buried, but I hope that people won't say he was a good man. Oh, he was a funny pastor. Or he was a bad, you you can say whatever you want. My prayer is, is that my death will bring glory to Jesus Christ. Because if not, I've been doing something wrong. And I'll tell you what, as I started this message, I want to tell you this. I've said it before, I'll say it again. If living for myself was so good, why didn't I go back to it? Because folks, when I took a taste of that life-giving water that Jesus offers, I never thirst for anything else again. You are changed. You are renewed. You are restored. Jesus has a purpose for you and I. He has a plan, and we need to be about it. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this opportunity this morning to study your word. And as we close out the book of John, Lord, you you do it in such a grand fashion. The Lord, nothing is left untied. Nothing is left unsaid. The Lord, you restored Peter. And Lord, he began the first church, Lord. And you used him in great and mighty ways. It is awesome to see how messed up these disciples were, yet you still use them in mighty ways. There is hope for me. There is hope for everyone in this room. May we be moved by what you've shown us through the Gospel of John. And Lord, if there's anyone here today that needs forgiveness, they need to be renewed, they need to be restored, they need to make sure that their relationship with you is right, then Lord, I pray that they would come forward. We could pray here at the altar Or we can pray anytime, but Lord, that they would make sure before they leave today that their eternity is secure with you. And then finally, for many of those in here that are Christians, the Lord, you would give them the faith to get out of the pew. They go beyond these walls and for us to bind together and reach the people you want us to reach. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. Would you please stand?